Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and boys and girls, and everyone else that's listening. We are now listening to the Dogs Program. Yes, D O G S. We are the defenders of government schools. We need to defend government schools. They're being attacked on all sides. We'll be highlighting various issues um, surrounding the attacks on government schools, not just here, but around the world. Jane will be highlighting later in the program about what's going on in Ireland. Um, they are de-religifying or attempting to de-religify um, the education system in Ireland because Ireland considers itself to be a one religion country. It's in fact apparently a Catholic country and so therefore the Catholic Church in Ireland runs all of its schools apparently. Um, Ireland's changing very quickly in terms of its social makeup and they're getting a bit sick of this and trying to trying to re-secularise their education system, um, but they're having some trouble because the Catholic Church um, in Ireland is, is not taking this lying down. They like, the, they like to educate all of the children. Um, it's called disestablishmentarianism. It is indeed. We'll, we'll find out more about the that later. The longest word in the English language. <laughs> That's right. No, actually, isn't it anti-disestablishmentarianism? Anyway, are we anti-anti-disestablishment? Oh, all right, fair enough. <laughs> Can't argue with you, Jean. Um, in fact, I refuse to argue with you when it comes to grammar and words. But we have more interesting things. Um, even than that, I'm going to talk about corruption here in the Australian education system because when you have a system as corrupt as we have in Australia, it is, of course, the one thing you can't talk about at middle-class dinner parties because it's the old saying, isn't it? You always find out where corruption lies in any country or any place or any society when you find out what cannot be spoken about at polite middle-class dinner parties. And education, um, funding is certainly one of those things. But here in Australia, there's, there's all sorts of levels of corruption. I'm talking about one of the more subtle ones later in the program when I'm talking about how disadvantaged schools actually miss out on, on, on the subtle things like quality of teacher or even teachers themselves because here in Australia we do that very poorly. Then, of course, uh, we always like to finish with our with our good news, with our great state school. But even before we get to that, I'm going to talk about the people who run the tests. Um, Dale will be highlighting what's going on with NAPLAM results, not just the results, but the people who actually set the tests themselves. But before we do any of that, of course, here on the Dogs Program, uh, we have what we always have. We have our 790th press release, which you can actually access on our website if you want to read it rather than listen to it at www.adogs.info. But if you do want to listen to our press release, and I do suggest it's worthwhile, it's all about what's going to happen coming up in the election. Jean, can you tell us more? Press release 790, Public Education and the Federal Election. 
It's going to be on the 18th of May 2019. Advocates of public education are attempting to have a say in the extraordinarily loud noise surrounding this federal election. But none of the major parties is prepared to deal with the elephant in the educational tent. Public funding of private schools. Mr Morrison and Josh Frydenberg have not even deigned to mention public education as one of their election priorities. Perhaps they are too shy to do so given their shameful treatment of our public school students. But a new ad campaign from the Australian Education Union shows that the Morrison government's $14 billion in total cuts to public schools will leave 99% of public schools below the minimum level of funding required to meet the educational needs of children. This is what Robert talks about when he talks about between 13,000 and 14,000 required for a school child to be educated per capita. The new ad campaign run by the Australian Education Union is attempting to make education funding a central campaign issue as the Morrison government prepares to hand down another budget geared towards handing cash to the big end of town at the expense of struggling families. And the ACTU is supporting the AEU. But with a stroke of a pen, public and private students are lumped together. And here I quote the ACTU President Michelle O'Neill. We support the AEU in this campaign and the principle that every child, no matter where they live and regardless of their background, should have access to a high quality education. We have to change the rules to ensure fair funding for all schools and all students. So they're quite happy to give money to private schools, aren't they? But unlike Mr Morrison, the Labor Party and the Greens have heard the public education voice and they are prepared to give public education funding priority but there's a deafening silence in their policy statements on the gross overfunding of private schools. And the Labor Party, as always, is determined to have two bob each way, a bit like the Adani mine. There is no evidence that they will question in any way the current federal funding of private education. The Greens, on the other hand, have gone halfway to bite the state aid bullet, by having a policy of free education for all. But there, again, there is no evidence that they will confront the fee-paying private sector. Their policy, however, is worth a second glance. And I'll read it out so that you can make up your own mind. Everyone has a right to an accessible and affordable education. Whether you are leaving school, changing careers or looking to gain new skills and knowledge. Education enriches all stages of our lives and the opportunity to learn unlocks our potential, reduces inequality and allows us to live a good life. Guaranteeing universal access to education helps us build a just society and prepare for a brighter future. Well, the dogs can go along with all of that. 
It's all very positive. But under the coalition government, the Greens say, billions have been cut from school funding. Our childcare services are under pressure and our university and TAFEs are being slowly deregulated and privatised at the expense of both students and teachers. They don't mention, you notice, that our public education at the primary and tertiary level and secondary level is also being privatised. They continue, if we don't improve our investment in public education, Just 13% of public schools will have the funding to meet their minimum needs by 2023, while 65% of non-government schools will be overfunded. So they are prepared to um, look at the overfunding of private schools. This means that two million young people will miss out on the education they need and our university and TAFE fees will also continue to rise out of reach of many young people. And the Greens have a plan to ensure that everyone, regardless of their bank balance or postcode, is able to gain a world-class education and continue learning and upskilling as their life changes. So they have headings. They want fully funded public schools. Uh, They want a free TAFE and university. And the benefits of our plan are that public schools have everything they need and no schools under funding. There'll be free TAFE and undergraduate university courses. There'll be better support for students, teachers and staff and more funding for universities to improve learning and teaching conditions and everyone will have access to world-class education. So, so much for the major parties. In coming weeks, the dogs will investigate the policies of the independents and the minor groups because in our compulsory optional preferential system, voting system, Australians, you and I, citizens and taxpayers, have many ways of giving a message to our politicians. Viva our democracy. So that is our press release 790.
My name is Ian Ham, and I'm the chair of the Healing Foundation Stolen Generations Reference Group. At three weeks of age, I was separated from my birth family, and even though they lived just 50 kilometres away, I never knew they existed. I never met my mum, and it pains me to this day. There are thousands of Aboriginal people just like me, and our stories have never been heard. These stories form the basis of Australia's first Stolen Generations resource kit for schools. To download the kit, go to healingfoundation.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting um, support and resources kit for kids in schools about the Australian stolen generations, which is something that... Do you know what? If I was a kid in school, that's the one thing I miss out on. Like, I'm old. But if I was at school and I'd learnt the history of the place in which I lived in detail, then I'd be actually a far better citizen today. I learned all about lots of other histories. That was great. And I love history. I love, And I'm only discovering now about the massacres that, of, of Indigenous people that took place around the corner from where I live um, and about what happened to people. And I just think it's wonderful to have support kits for kids in schools. People think this is too heavy for kids. No, it's not. No, it's actually part of the world that they're being born into and they need to understand it so that they can have proper empathy, not just for the people around them, of all shapes, colours, creeds and, and whatevers, but the land on which they are born and the land in which they live, in which they live. But anyway... Back to some other interesting things, because how Australia is stuffing up its education system yet again. So, but it, it's worth pointing out, um, I'm here laughing, I hear, yeah, okay, that's what the dogs are all about, but you don't hear about it anywhere else. You just don't hear about it in the mainstream media, because the disadvantaged schools in Australia are missing out on the fundamental access to teachers. Now, this isn't just us talking. This is the OECD report, which compares all of the international countries, and there's been a damning report about what's going on in Australia. Now, the education system in Australia is an apartheid system. There are three castes in Australia's education system. Actually, there's four, truth to tell now. There's four, isn't there, Jean? There's the independent school caste, which the means... establishment. Yes, which, and, which is sort of has sub-castes as well, but they include the people who are the ruling caste. The ruling caste... Send, would be. Would be ruling caste, who send their children to independent schools. They pay a great deal of money. The fact that they pay a great deal of money fundamentally excludes poor people, unless those poor people are incredibly smart and get their own scholarships. They also, just by the way, I'll tell you right now, the very rich schools always have a few token um, ref- refugee children as well, um, mm-hmm. because that, that, that way they can say, and quite rightly say, that they are being Charitable. charitable. The second cast is the Catholic school system. Um, the wannabe establishment. Which system. in Australia, ironically, doesn't involve a whole bunch of Catholic people sending their children to Catholic schools because there's many non-Catholic students in Catholic schools and there's many the Catholic wannabes. students in... Well, the Catholic system is a different system. There's a historical reason for it. It is a separate system from the state system. It does maintain all its exemptions, so it cannot enrol children that chooses, choose to, chooses to not like. Um... And it's separate and aside. It is better funded than the third caste, which is the state school system. Now, the state school system has subcasts as well. There is the selective state schools, which have the brightest and the best of the entire country going to them. And then there's what's called the rest, or the rump of state schools, which, to my mind, produce the most extraordinary people and the most extraordinary results. Um, but what's happening in Australia is that many countries are seeing that to... Have a caste system in your education system is not good for the nation. It's Crazy. not. It's not good for all of the people to separate the children off and have good quality education going to a small number of people who come from rich families, 
and a poor quality education going to a much larger number of less rich people. Um, and that's just the way it is. We, that's just the way we do things around here. And whenever you hear someone say, well, that's just the way we do things around here, uh, there speaks and there lies corruption. Now, this is not just about the money, because from the money flows many other things. And there is a large gap in student achievement between advantaged and disadvantaged schools in Australia. Now, this is just a fact. Um, it's a disgusting fact. It's, it's, it's a fact that needs to be fought. But in Australia, it's just accepted. And in an interesting report by Trevor Cobold, actually written last year, I think it's fascinating, because what is, what is less well known is that the government teachers' policies are compounding the gaps by discriminating against disadvantaged schools in their access to teaching resources. And incredibly, Australia allocates more and better teacher resources to socioeconomically advantaged schools than it does to disadvantaged ones. Now, disadvantaged schools in Australia have more students per teacher more te- uh, disadvantaged schools in Australia have more students per teacher. They have more teacher absenteeism. They have more teacher shortages. They have more poorly qualified teachers. They have more teachers teaching out of their field. They have more inexperienced teachers. They have more teacher turnover. They have more novice teachers. And they have more teachers in short-term contracts than those who work in advantaged schools. Now, this gap ranks amongst the largest in the OECD. That last sentence is the important one. Because all of those things that I said, that is more teacher shortages, more students per teacher, more teachers teaching out of field, all of that stuff in Australia is just, everyone will go, well, yeah, that's just the way things are around And they here. don't get half a million a year like so many private school principals get. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously the pay rate for the upper echelons of independent private schools are set by the school board and can be anything up to half a million dollars. But separate to that, I'm talking about systemic, system-wide problems. Now, if I were to tell that to someone in Australia in the education field, they would just go, well, yeah, that's just the way it is. It's not nice. It's probably not even right. But it is just the way we do things around here. Well, I've got news for you, listeners. That's not the way the rest of the world does it because the rest of the world ain't so stupid. Now, these gaps in teaching resources are reviewed in a recent OECD report that's entitled Effective Teaching Policies that draws on data from the 2015 program for international student assessment, which is the PISA study, because the PISA just doesn't do kids. It does teachers as well. The data, the data are the most comprehensive available on the allocation of teaching resources. Now, Australia is the only OECD country where disadvantaged schools are worse off than advantaged schools on an aggregate of several measures of teacher quality. So we are the worst in the world. It is one of only eight OECD countries out of 35 where disadvantaged schools are not better off than advantaged schools on at least one measure of teacher quality. So in Australia, advantaged schools are better off than disadvantaged schools on every single measure, and there's only eight other countries in the world that are as stupid as we are. The report shows that most OECD countries provide more resources for teachers in disadvantaged schools than in advantaged schools, because it makes sense. Australia is only one of three countries where the number of students per teacher in disadvantaged schools is higher than advantaged schools. And the difference is statistically significant. So whenever you hear a politician say, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're going to bridge the gap, Australia is doing the opposite of bridging the gap. They are concreting the gap in. So that is, as I say, just the way we do things around here. Now, moreover, 
Australia is one of only five of 73 countries participating in the study where student-teacher ratio is significantly higher for disadvantaged schools than advantaged schools. That is, 12.6 students per teacher as compared to 11.6. Although this gap appears small, it has a significant impact on the number of teachers available in schools of 500 or more students. Australia's gap is the third largest of all of the countries. So our bastardising of poor kids in Australia, and that's what I'm going to say, is an entrenched and as I say, almost unique situation in the world. There aren't any other countries in the world that are doing this on purpose, year after year. There's also a huge gap in the shortage of teachers between disadvantaged and advantaged schools. Some 36% of students in disadvantaged schools are in schools whose principals reported a shortage of teaching staff compared to only 6% of students in the most disadvantaged schools. The difference is equal fifth largest in the OECD. Which gets to another point. And I think this is a very interesting point, that in Australia, in Australia, when it comes to teacher training, it's an open market. So teachers are trained in various institutions around the country, and I know, because I've worked in them, the students come out, this is the potential new teachers, and say, oh, I don't want to work in a bad school. I don't want to work in a rubbish school. So they don't. They hold out, and then they go and work in an inverted commas, good school. But to see that there is this lie, and it's an extraordinary lie. What most people would consider to be, inverted commas, a bad school, and I've worked in hundreds of schools around this country, so I'm telling you from first-hand experience, you go into an inverted commas, bad school, the kids there are extraordinary. Mm. You go into a so-called good school, the entitlement that comes out of their pores means that they are almost impossible to deal with. The worst behaviourally schools I've ever worked in aren't state schools. Oh, no, no, no. That's not to say all all the kids in state schools are angels. I'm not saying that. Oh, they're challenging. Go, good, you know. You learn a lot from them. I tell you what, if if you want the respect of someone in a state school, you have to earn it. But I tell you what, if you go into one of those, in some, not all, but in some of those posh private schools, if you want respect from someone, uh, you know. You'll never get it because you're only a servant. You're you're, a paid servant. That's right. Because because my parents are paying for you. I make sure that you'll get sacked if you don't. No, I mean, in Australia, all I'm saying is that the corruption, the fact that poor people don't get a good education in comparison to rich people in Australia is just, as I say, the way we do things around here. And we're not changing it. Neither political persuasion of the major two parties have done anything about this. They've made noises about it, but usually some bishop comes up and says, no, 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 we've got to have our money for our private schools. Or the independent school sector says, oh, well, if you do that, then we'll come out against you in, in the polls. And now we have this election. I think it's fascinating what's going to happen, as Jim was pointing out, because the old rules, the old rules of the bishops telling politicians want to, what to do, and the old rules of independent schools saying, oh, you've got to give us our money or else politically we'll kill you, they're now falling away. Down here in Victoria, Mr Guy didn't hear, didn't want to hear the public school voice. And Mr Morrison and Josh Frydenberg have just made the same mistake. But it still remains the fact that in Australia, advantaged schools have first call on the best teachers. And disadvantaged schools face severe shortage of quality teachers. And this is actually not a failure of the market. This is a failure of policy. Because what you're having is you're having the free market, the free market run riot over the education of our children. 
Now, if you're one of the wealthy people and you have a child in a wealthy school being taught by wonderful teachers, then you're not going to rock the boat. But you know what? That's the definition of corruption. <laughs> that is, in fact, the definition of what the problem is. And I think it all gets down to the point. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a parent of a child who now, just by the way, sends his child to a state school. And he's sending his child to the state school that three years ago he told me up front, he said, oh, I've heard from the other parents around here. I'm not going to send my child to a state school. I'm going to send them to a Steiner school because that's better for his soul. So he sent his child, he sent his child to a Steiner school three years ago. And he said, I would not send my dog to that state school. He said, wouldn't send my dog there. That's what everyone says. And I thought, oh. And I said to him, so, so you think it's okay to live in a town, and it is just out of Melbourne, live in a town where there's a school that you wouldn't send your dog to and people still send their children there. You think that's an acceptable outcome? But, oh, it's not my problem. Now he sends his child to that school. His mind has miraculously changed. And do you know what? <laughs> when I spoke to him, I said, it's great. It's really good. No one wanders on about, oh, look, you know, my, my child can be who my child is, and I, I feel my child is happier and freer. Freer. Isn't that interesting? It's a word, freedom, being, being used in its real context. In one, in one Steiner school, you, you understand out there in Footscray, they were trying to impose it on the Footscray uh, state school, mm-hmm. and the child was not allowed to go up a grade because their soul was not ready. It was a bit, hmm. it was a bit of a worry. That was That's really okay. a worry. Oh, no, and the parents fought that one. They did, and, and they won. So and they won that one. And so Footscray is now, now Footscray Public School is not a Steiner school. No, no I, I think, I think it's absolutely fascinating in many cases. Now, now this is to say that not all teachers and parents in Steiner schools are, you know, bad. This, this isn't even a moral question. It's just a question about where my taxpayers' funding should go. I think Steiner schools should exist. I think people should be free. Free. There you go. Isn't that word again? To pay for it. To pay for it. To pay for it themselves. As long as the child gets a decent education and can read and write and think and critically analyse things, then I've got no problem. Um, if the child doesn't get that opportunity, then the government should step in in a private school. But apart from that, I think everyone should be free to. They should be free to spend their money as they see fit. I should be free to be separate from that entire equation as a taxpayer. I don't want to be paying for it. But you've heard that before here, and you'll probably hear it again, because you need to, because we are the dogs. We are the defenders of government schools. We'll be back after this. Before the government started turning back boats in 2013, around 10,000 Tamils arrived seeking refuge in Australia fleeing from the Sri Lankan government. On Saturday, 4th of May, we invite you to a film screening of No Fire Zone at 6.45pm at RMIT Cinema Theatre. The cinema is located at Building 80, 455 Swanston Street, opposite the RMIT tram stop. This award-winning documentary about the war helps answer why Tamils fled to places like Australia and why it is not safe for them to return. This event is co-hosted by Tamil Refugee Council and Dr Liam Ward from RMIT's School of Media and Communications, supported by 3CR. Subscribe now at 3cr.org.au. Hey, Melbourne's newest film festival is about to hit the screens. Now put this in your diary. The 26th 
to the 29th of April, the inaugural Biraranga Film Festival will showcase Indigenous films from across the globe. An incredible selection of feature films, shorts packages, conversations, and even virtual reality. Now, head to www.biraranga.world. That's B I R R A N G A dot world. And book your tickets. See you at ACME for the most exciting and global. Indigenous Film Festival right here in Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the www through their website 3cr.org.au um, Look, testing. Testing. We often talk about NAPLAN results. When I talk about great schools I dismissively say, oh yeah, and the NAPLAN results are great. But there's some interesting things going on with NAPLAN because what is NAPLAN? Who writes it? Who pays for it? Who sets it up? What is the story? Now, Dale's got a little bit of an expose here on the people who write the tests. Dale, can you tell us more? Follow the money. Yeah. Thanks, Jean. Thanks, Rob. Yes, I've got uh, an article here by Jordan Baker entitled Questions Over NAPLAN Conflict of Interest Raised by Union. The Australian Education Union has raised conflict of interest concerns after a senior official of Australia's Testing and Curriculum Authority was employed by the global education giant contracted to run NAPLAN. Dr Stanley Rabinowitz was in charge of assessment at the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority, ACARA, but recently returned to his native United States where he was appointed Senior Technical Advisor to Pearson Incorporated. The AEU wrote to Federal Education Minister Dan Tian and State Education Ministers this month raising concerns about the appointment which it described as a grave issue. It raises serious matters of probity, conflict of interest, transparency and the potential contamination of contractual arrangements involving ACARA, the letter said. As General Manager, Dr Rabinowitz was privy to information, thinking, strategy, preferences and intentions, much of it confidential, from within both ACARA itself and also each of the constituent jurisdictions of ACARA. Pearson holds millions of dollars worth of contracts with curriculum agencies in most states to run NAPLAN. It collects, scans, marks and distributes the tests but does not prepare test items. The letter from Federal AEU President Karenna Haythorpe said the Australian Public Service Code of Conduct warned that ethical concerns arose when public service employees left to work for sectors closely aligned to their former public responsibilities. She called on ACARA to reveal Dr Rabinowitz's conditions of employment at ACARA, his involvement in Pearson and the commitments he made on his departure to ensure his internal knowledge would be kept confidential. The AEU has written to the Education Council and sought their immediate attention to this matter. It is incidents such as this which undermine the education community's confidence in ACARA, Ms Haythorpe said. An ACARA spokesperson said 
all current and former staff were bound by confidentiality conditions that included not disclosing confidential information to a third party. ACARA has no contractual arrangements with Pearson USA, where Dr Rabinowitz is now employed, he said. The, the spokeswoman for Pearson said the company had stringent compliance and ethics policies in place to avoid conflicts and follow government rules and regulations. In this case, Dr. Rabinowitz was hired to work exclusively in the US market and will play no part, no, no role in assessment delivery in Australia, she said. Well, well I think that's worth listening to. Because next time I say the word NAPLAN, it's good to see what's behind those results. And, and as I say, Jean says, you know, who benefits? Where's the money go? We're back actually talking about things, more things overseas. We're going to Ireland after these messages. We Need to Pay the Rent is a fundraiser for warriors of the Aboriginal resistance featuring the Pretty Littles, Worst Nurse, Ute Root, No Sister, Face Face and a heap more. Come join us on Kulin Nation land to give back. It's well overdue. We need to pay the rent. Saturday, May the 18th at the Tote from 4pm. Tickets $20. Available from the Tote website, thetotehotel.com. Free or discounted tickets for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Contact organisers online to arrange. A 3CR supporter. VCR are selling Kafia Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Well, it's part of the packed show today. We're going overseas now to find out what's going on with the disestablishmentarianism. Yes, that word used in a sentence, proper sentence, the disestablishmentarianism or de- the disestablishmentarianizing of the education system in Ireland. Jane, can you tell us more? Yes, thank you, Robert. Before I go there, I'd like to do a little bit of history, if you don't mind. No worries. Ireland and Australian education, and Irish education and Australian education are very closely linked because our state school system started in 1848 and was based upon the Irish national system, which was an attempt, which failed, to get Catholic, Protestant and all children in school together. But to really understand what is now happening in Ireland, you have to go much further back. The Romans never conquered Ireland. And the Irish church, uh, which was started in the mythical times by St Patrick, was a Gaelic church. It was never a Roman church in the early days. And they actually sent their own missionaries back to Europe to Christianise Europe. Most people would know about the Book of Kells. They might know that the priests used to marry and that the monks and the nuns often lived together. 
that they had a Gaelic church with their own separate culture, which was Gaelic. And then the Normans invaded under Henry II and they imposed the Roman church on the Irish. We all know that around about the time of Cromwell, there was trouble between the Protestants and the Catholics in Ireland. There was a terrible massacre of Protestants and um, Cromwell sent his people over and they took over the land of the Irish people. Many of them came from Scotland, so they were all, if you like, gales together. If I'd like, I'd like to fast forward to the revolutionary times in France in 1798 you have the first uprising for home rule Ireland and England never really quite got on but the surprising thing about this home rule for Ireland battle because there was a battle in which the people in Northern Ireland actually beat the Yorkshire Regiment they beat the, the English but surprise, surprise, they were Presbyterians. Some of them were hung when the, uh, the British sent their, their superior forces over in great force, and a lot of them went off into exile to America, where they were instrumental in getting the First Amendment, our Section 116, into Jefferson's um, Constitution. They put pressure on Jefferson. So it's a very interesting story. Now, back in this first home rule battle, the uh, Catholics down in the south of Ireland said yes, they would also go in with this home rule battle, but they reneged because the English bought out the Roman Catholic Church leaders. This is a story that's very rarely told. Fast forward to the um, 1916 home rule uh, rebellion. Remember that there was a, an attempt in the, in the even back in the 19th century with Gladstone to give Home Rule to Ireland, which was stopped. But in uh, the uh, 19th century, also there was a, an attempt to get the children into school together because religion has been a very vicious fault line in the history of Ireland, a very, very sad one indeed. And you have in that time as well the terrible famine uh, and Australia was, was the beneficiary because we had a lot of Irish immigrants here into Australia. Uh, but the Irish national system got off to a very difficult start and it was finally... Uh, stopped really first of all by the Presbyterians in Northern Ireland and then by the Roman Catholic Church down in Southern Ireland. They wanted to have the power to run their own schools. After the, the division of Ulster from Southern Ireland in, in uh, 1921-22 I think it was you had in the north again the Catholics being separated out and the Protestants going to state schools. They had state schools and there has always been a movement in the north to get all the children back into school together to stop the troubles because, my goodness, they've had troubles. And down in the south, um, de Valera, who became the president in the 1920s, uh, 
was very, very fond of Franco in Spain and later was neutral in the Second World War but also gave some assistance to the German body bombers when the lights uh, were put were kept on in Dublin so that they could get to Belfast and bomb them. And this caused a lot of a lot of bad feeling between the South and the North. But the important thing about de Valera was that he had a concordat with the Roman Catholic Church so that they dominated the education of Southern Ireland. Well, a lot of water's gone under the bridge since then, as you know, and we're now in Brexit with problems over the border because the Irish problem, if you want to call it, well, the Irish would call it the English problem, um, it's never gone away. But down in the south, there have been a lot of changes. The reason why the north has not wanted to go into the south is partly because of the very special relationship between church and state in Southern Ireland. But in Ireland, even now, 90% of the primary schools are Catholic and the religious domination of public education is anomalous, is quite anomalous, they find, in what is called a developed nation because it's not meeting the needs of Ireland's increasingly diverse population or of the many citizens. You not, not only have... Um, well, much less than 10%. There used to be 10% Protestant, but uh, they have mainly left Southern Ireland. But you now have people from all over the world going to uh, Southern Ireland since the EU and the tiger economy. Um, so they are saying, look, we want our children to have an education, but we don't want them to be forced to be Roman Catholic. And they want... Uh, that Catholicism is not afforded the privileged place in public life which it currently has. And in 2012, a government report recognised the need for change and recommended that some schools should divest their religious patronage. Uh, in most of the schools, particularly the primary schools of Southern Ireland, the priest decides who is teaching in the schools. He is the employer. But progress has been very slow. And though the church agrees that some divestment might be necessary, at a local level it's very reluctant to cede the power. And after a survey of parents of preschool children in an area of Dublin, which is, has apparently indicated that more than a quarter want at least multi-denominational education for their children, it's been decided that one of the eight local Catholic primary schools should divest. In response, three Catholic schools circulated leaflets containing misinformation. They claimed that the loss of religious patronage would mean an end to the schools marking Christmas, Easter and even Halloween, which is All Souls Day, and the axing of healthy eating programs and book clubs, the devaluing of grandparents, the censorship of the Irish language, lack of safety on school tours, a drop in the standard of education, the impairment of teachers' jobs... Well, I would have thought that they were imperiled if you weren't a Catholic anyway. In short, they are saying that this would lead to a Brexit-type disaster. And the government, they say, must reassure parents that divestment will not disrupt their children's education. Now, the Minister for Education, Joe McHugh, has condemned this inaccurate information and he's taken the unusual step of publicly asking the Catholic schools not to issue claims that have no basis in fact. Now, this is a very brave thing to do in Southern Ireland, to tell the church what it can and can't do. 
and he says that Pancake Tuesday, which is the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, won't be banned because everybody in, in the Catholic tradition loves to get rid of all of their, their excess um, things in the pantry and make lovely pancakes. And nor will holidays or celebrations associated with the ancient Celtic pagan festival of Halloween. Now, incomprehensibly, we're told, the state all but handed over administration of the divestment process to, guess who? The church. They're not going to divest. And the result? The Catholic schools have denied parents any objective information on alternative patrons. And then warned them that if they voted for divestment, there would be no opportunity to reconsider once they learned details of the proposed replacement. Well, of course, the state should just take them over. We should, they should have state, genuine state public schools. You don't have public schools in Southern Ireland. This is a fact that very few people ever tell you. Who in their right mind would vote for change under those circumstances? A parent writing to the Irish Times opined that the process seemed to be cynically engineered to obtain a particular result for the local diocese. And when parents in this situation inevitably vote to maintain the status quo, the church can say, we tried, but there was no appetite for it. People want their children to have a Catholic education. This is certainly how Father Jerry O'Connor, involved in the failed divestment of a Catholic school, explained the fact that no schools have voted for change in the Dublin suburb of Ballyfermo. And faced with public attention on its untruths and manipulation, the Archdiocese of Dublin announced that the divestment votes in North Dublin would be postponed. Now, in the wake of this farce, and if you don't um, take the church on frontly and actually just say they're going to be divested and put the ownership of the property into the ownership of the state... Uh, then Southern Ireland's got a very big problem. And this, of course, is why Northern Ireland or the Protestants of Northern Ireland don't want to go in with Southern Ireland. Um, the, the people need to know that they're not voting in order versus chaos, on order versus chaos, but on whether they want their school to be run according to a Catholic ethos or according to a multi-denominational or non-denominational ethos. Now, the reason we are different in Australia, and we actually have a state system, is because in the 19th century here in Australia, there were people who were prepared to take on the Catholic Church. Our problem at the moment in Australia is that we do not have many politicians with the intestinal fortitude to take it on. There is a question of whether the Catholic Church in Northern, in Southern Ireland is going to be disestablished. Now, I'm sorry I've taken so long. It's a very complicated uh, issue, but I think that we should be very grateful in Australia that 100 or so, 140 years ago, there were people in this country that were prepared to take on not only the Catholic Church, but also the Protestant churches and say that religion and education did not necessarily go together and the church, whatever it might be, was not going to have control of our education system. They were not going to own the schools. 
that were paid for by taxpayers. They were not going to run the schools. They were not going to appoint the teachers and they were not going to determine the curriculum. And that is why here in Australia in the 1870s and 80s, the Catholic Church took their children out from under any state control. They did it in Southern Ireland and they were successful. But here in Australia, we kept our public schools, our non-denominational, our open to everyone schools going. We are so lucky we have inherited this and we must fight for it. And that is why the dogs are here giving you this program today. Every week on the Dogs Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State schools School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Oh, yes, our great state school of the week this week is in, in, we're going back to Melbourne. Going back to Melbourne. It's in a little place called Altona. And Altona's an interesting place. It's a new-ish suburb. It's been around for a while now. And there's lots of schools. There's lots of kids. There's lots of people. It's a world within a world. It's a nice place to live unless you want to commute to town by car each day. Um, apart from that, it's a really nice place to be. But in Altona, there's a really interesting public school. Now, I'm going to talk about a P to nine college that is little preppies and year nines all in the same school together which is an interesting way of doing it which i'm just highlighting altona p to p to nine college because it's a great state school it just goes to show that everyone's all oh, state schools they're all the same no they're not they really are not because the p to 12 college is new and it's quite exciting but it in that short time it's been around, it has a proud history of both primary and secondary education in Altona. Now, they've got state-of-the-art facilities linked to explicitly to the stages of learning. And I don't know about you, but the idea of educating a child from to the ages of, like, four or five up until the age of about 14 or 15 is a really good idea uh, because that's about the time that puberty starts to hit, and when puberty starts to hit, the ways that people learn is always different. They're more focused. They don't like this. They do like that. The old teenage problem kicks in. But if you can keep them in a primary school environment where absorption processes are possible for as long as you can, you can get vast amounts of information into these early teenage kids, which is what they're doing in a Peter 12 college. Now, look, there's leaders and they're separated into fours and fives and the eights and the nines, and the students themselves play, play, a, play a role in how the school actually works and functions. It holds students at the centre of everything they do. Now, who are these kids? Well, the exit value of the place is around about 1,000, which in the Australian context means that around about 70% of the kids come from the poorest families in Australia. Because Altona is an interesting place. There's some really stinking rich people down there, but there's some poor people and there's people in the middle. It's a, it's a little tiny microcosm of Australia. It's a fascinating place. But down there, 35% of the kids come from a background language, a language background other than English. And there's a lot, well, not a lot, but there's more boys than girls. And the total enrolment, and this is the interesting bit, the total enrolment for the entire school is 313, which to my mind is a good size for a school. That means everyone knows everyone else. Now, there's 25 teaching staff, full-time equivalent teaching staff, so the ratios are quite good down there in Altona, even though it's not a particularly advantaged school. Now, what are their NAPLAN results like? 
Well, the NAPLAN results are rather interesting, if you ask me, because they are more than good. They are very good, except in Year 7. It's really interesting. And this is one of those things because so often and often and often you get this transition from primary school to secondary school where year seven kids wander around going, I don't know what's going on. And their results, you know, they're in a new environment and things fall around because they're just starting puberty. Now, the, and I, I really want to talk about this because this is what I think makes Altona Peter 12 College a great school. Let's look, look at their reading. Okay, the reading of kids in, in grade three is spectacularly good. <laughs> Not just against similar schools, or but like it's just really good. In year five, it's okay. Nothing, nothing, nothing right home about, but certainly nothing rubbish. It's it's just okay. In year seven, oh my goodness. In year seven, it's a bit of a problem. I would have to say. And if I was if I was the teachers in the schools, I'd be looking at it. But in year nine, it's brilliant. And so you have this little dip with teenage kids, and these this school is seeing those kids through that dip. Brilliant in year three, brilliant in year nine, and of course children are growing in between those. And the same is true for grammar and spelling. Writing, however, in, in, in grade five is absolutely brilliant. It's good around everywhere else as well. So as a school, a P to 12 college, which is an innovative approach to education in Australia, is doing wonderful things down there in Altona. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Now, how much is this all costing us? How much is this costing us? Well, it costs around about $13,000 gold standard to educate a kid in a primary school and around about $15,000 to educate a kid gold standard in a secondary college. Now, this goes from primary to secondary. It's around about $14,000 per kid from the taxpayer per year. Value. Bargain. Good things. Good school. Good teachers. Good kids. Good parents. Good value. Good results. And I'm not spending too much money on it. And neither, indeed, are the parents because the parents' contributions to this um, per student per year on average this is all the incidentals around about $300 and I'm sure for many of the poorer parents this would not this would be a voluntary fee rather than a mandatory one so yeah proper state school congratulations our great state school of the week Altona Peter Nine College you guys are awesome want to defend government schools we are the dogs d-o-g-s defenders of government schools every week on the dog program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school if you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school give 3cr a call we want to hear about these schools that we're defending Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. 
Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 94198377. State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Well, that's it for the Dogs Program today on 3CR 855 and AM Dollars. If you want to call us to call us out on any facts that we think we, you think we might have gone wrong or have an argument with us, please do. Love to hear from you. Um, you can get us on our website, of course, at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Or indeed, you can contact us on our website through the 3CR website www.3cr.org.au that's 3cr.org.au or you can call the station and if you do have the idea of a school down the road, state school down the road that's doing a good job give us a call and I'll do a bit of a I'll do a bit of a run around and find out what I can about the school if you've got a suggestion please give us a call on 03-9419-8377 that's 94 94- one nine eight three double seven, and if you've got a suggestion of a school, just say I reckon this school's great. Tell Rob, and I'll 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 do it for next week. No worries at all. And it's good to have your company. It's nice to know you're out there listening, um, because three CR is something community radio is something that supports all people, and there is only one school system in Australia that welcomes all people, and that of course is the state school system, the government schools which we defend. But until next week. And we have to come back because the battle's not won and there's an election coming up. Oh, my goodness. Until then, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he, I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, just as I am standing by my bed, they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe. Says, killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes. Says Joe, what they can never kill Went on to organize Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill Joe Hill last night 
Jesus. Mm-hmm. 